just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jersey Jump Shot, New Jersey's first and only podcast dedicated exclusively to covering college basketball in the Garden State. And what a season it turns out we're having. For a while, we thought, would we have one NCAA tournament contender? Maybe two? It turns out we have at least three. And one of those three is St. Peter's. Who would have thunk back in the preseason St. Peter's? is out to a red-hot start. So joining us on the show this week, and I'm Jerry Carino. Uh, This is my 21st season covering college basketball in the Garden State. And the one thing I've learned over the years is that you just never know what's going to happen. Our guest this week is a guy who is in the middle of St. Peter's resurgence, senior guard Latrell Reed. The Peacocks are 9-5. and They're 5-0 and in the MAC. They've won six straight games. Latrell is a Willingboro native, Trenton Catholic alum. He's averaging 11 points, four assists, and four rebounds per game. He dished out 11 assists in Sunday's win over Manhattan. This is his third season with the Peacocks. He played in 20 games on the forever legendary 2022 squad that made the NCAA tournament to lead eight. I know if you're listening to this podcast, you know all about that team. Of all the guys in St. Peter's current rotation, he's the only one left who played on that team regularly. He's a business management major and Latrell. Thanks so much for joining us on the Jersey Jump Shot. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So I got to start by asking about what people thought of you guys in the preseason. You're picked to finish 10th. 11th place in the league. I'm sure you heard about it. How much does that motivate you guys? Do people care about that when you play in the game? And how did you get from there to here? Um, well, I'll say, like, of course we've seen it. You know, it, it, we've seen it. We had to see it. The polls came out, and we were like, okay, Tim. But then it was just like, all right, let's get back to, to, to us and what we need to focus on and develop in our team. We knew we had talent. You know, we thought people overlooked us from last year, of course, which which respectfully uh, we didn't have the season we wanted to have. But I think we made some uh, strides towards the end of the year and we just built on it. And this St. Peter's, the, the old calling card is back, Latrell, defense, rebounding. How is this team so good defensively and on the glass? Uh, Coach Bosch, man, like that's what he preaches. He'll tell you in a minute. He wants to win the game 2-0 if he, if he can, like. That's that's really our, our motto. So we know, like, in the MAC, you got to grind games out. And we know how much our defense is so important to us. So Coach Bosch just preaches defense. He preaches rebounding, one in the glass. And that's what we want to do every night. We, our team really enjoys it. So buying into what he believes and preaches, and it shows it works. So it, just it shows for sure. And on the offensive end, you got to still score to win some games. You dished out 11 assists against Manhattan Sunday. What what has to happen for a guy to have 11 assists? That's incredible. Oh, just credit to my teammates, man. They came to play. And um, just reading the game, uh, t- it's, it's telling me what to do. 
uh, and it was passed the ball to my teammates when they were open, and they made shots. So credit to them. It was a team effort, and I couldn't have did it without them. All right, Latrell, good guy crediting his teammates, but honest, honest question here, honest answer. When you're playing the game, do you know how many assists you have? When you get up to double figures, you got to know. Someone say something. How does that work? Nah, uh, honestly, I don't even know because I'm so I'm so focused on winning the game. I really don't know how many assists I got. I could I could probably have a sense of like I might have a few, you know, just off the way the game's going. When I'm passing, like man, well, we're making a lot of shots, but uh, I really don't know. At the end of the game, when I came out, coach did say I had a double double, so it was just it was just funny. That's the first time you realized how many assists you had. Yes, when when I came out the game, it's hard to kind of keep track of so much. So much other things I got to worry about. I'm sure. That's why I asked. Tell me a little bit about Bashir Mason, what it's like to be coached by him. And you've been coached by Shaheen Holloway, another guy who defense, defense, defense. What are the similarities and differences between these two coaches? Um, they're very similar in, in the sense of uh, what they preach, defense. And uh, they're both like masterminds of the game, really smart guys. Uh, they're both super fiery. Um, Bosh Every day he's going to bring it to practice. So, like, the standard he holds us at is just uh, incredible. And, like, guys really love it. Like, he coaches you hard. He's going to coach us hard. He's going to let you know when you're messing up, but he's also going to let you know when you're doing well. So, Take us back, Latrell, to that first meeting with Bosch. So he gets the job, uh, you know, your end of your sophomore year, your first year at St. Peter's, he gets the job, and he sort of makes his pitch to you guys about sticking around, staying with the, th- the program, what do you remember most about that first meeting? Uh, and then why did – well, I'll ask you the second question after that. But tell me about the first meeting and your first impression of him. Um, first time I ever met him was at the press conference. When they had the press conference at school, we all were, like, advised to be there. We were going to be there anyway. Um, and he just came in and he just showed love. He brought his, his other team came to support him. So that was like, okay, well, it's, he's obviously a good guy. Like, if your other team comes – to your press conference and comes to support you, even if they're not coming with you, you know that there's a good guy. So he was just – he introduced himself to us. He, it was real brief, but you could just tell he was a good guy. He cracked a few jokes, and we were all smiling. Mm-hmm. It was cool. So Wagner came – the Wagner players came the same way you guys did for Shaheen when he was introduced at Seton Hall. Yes. That's pretty cool. That definitely tells you something. Uh, why did you stay, Latrell? A lot of guys left. You you stayed. Why? Um, honestly, I stayed because – I was on a, a journey. I had went to junior college in Kansas for a year, uh, had won a few games. I had, I had a really good time, had the opportunity to come play for Sh- Coach Shy. He gave me the uh, he gave me the opportunity of a lifetime. And I really liked St. Peter's for the year that I was there. I had fun. My teammates were fun. Everything was fun about it. It was home. It was small. Um, it was just like I wanted – I felt like I finally found a home in college. So it was like – I really don't want to go and, and restart again. You know what I'm saying? Right. I know I got to restart with my coach, but right. at least I'll be familiar with the background and what everything's here. And then we just did something great. So, like, at least somebody had to stay. I, I think. <laughs> good, good for you. And I'm sure everybody's super glad that you did because uh, look what's happening now. Take us back to your recruitment. How did, how did St. Peter's find you? Who else recruited you at a junior college? What was the scenario there? Well, so in junior college, uh, my recruitment was was really it really picked up. I think New Mexico State was the first school to ever offer me. North followed by North Texas, um, and then there was just a few. It was just a a 
plethora of schools. Coastal okay. Carolina. Uh, I can't even remember, but it was not not too many home schools recruited me. But I had end up getting hurt my freshman year at Coffeeville, a bad ankle injury, a high ankle sprain. So it sat me out for a long time. So I really didn't know. Then COVID hit. I was a qualifier, but I was going to go back to JUCO. But COVID had hit, um, so we all had to come home. So it was like starting from scratch again. The schools didn't see me play in a while. Um, and then I had I had a heart issue. I had ended up having a heart surgery. Everything's fine now. And uh, one day I just got a text from Coach Umar Shannon, and he was asking me about, did I know about St. Peter's? And I was like, of course I know about St. Peter's. I'm from Jersey. And hmm. uh well, and then we were just talking about basketball. He's like, do you have a school to go? I was like, no, I enroll at St. Peter's. And then he's like, well, we'll give you an opportunity to walk on. So I was just like, I didn't have, have nothing else to, to do. So I just took the opportunity and then Coach Shah. And it, that was, it was all written after that. So Umar, Umar invited you to walk on, and then eventually they upgraded you to scholarship? Yes. That's a heck of a story, Latrell. I mean, you come, you come from junior college in the Midwest. COVID wipes out, you know, a lot of the scouting. You hurt your ankle. You had heart surgery. Yeah. You got a walk-on offer. And then you wind up playing on this team that runs deep in the NCAA tournament. What a what a story. What what kind of appreciation do you have for the game or what you've accomplished or the opportunity that you have now to lead a Division One team? What type of appreciation or perspective do you have given all that you've been through? I'm just so grateful, like, because for a minute I was working a job, I didn't really didn't know like was it was this it for me? So it was just like I was just I was just so happy for the opportunity. So I just appreciated everything. The from like it was a different uh, viewpoint for me. Like I'm playing basketball. I didn't really care how much I played. Like I could have been doing something so totally different back at home. So it was just it's just a blessing like for me. And now to be able to lead the team is just like a testament to everything that I've been through. I'll ask you about the leadership of the current team in a minute, but what, what was the job you were working? Oh, I used to work at Blink Fitness. And what, back home in Willingboro or out, out west? Uh, back home in Willingboro. What, were you working the front desk? Yeah. All right, well, you, you should be an instructor there now with everything you've been through, man. That's funny. So you were working the job at the desk, and then when did they upgrade you to scholarship? Uh, when Coach Bosch came in the summer. Okay. Oh, so you were you were a walk-on on the Elite Eight team, but you played in yeah. 20 games. Yep. So the experience there, let's talk about that and then how you use that now in your leadership. But first, going back to the Elite Eight run, you know, you you played in a bunch of those games. You played throughout the MAC tournament. You started some games that season. What are your fondest memories from that that whole experience? Oh man, I, it was that season was so crazy. Um I think uh, Christmas break. I think we were like three and nine. Uh, the whole team ended up catching COVID. Yep. Uh, and it, I remember like this is how intense Coach Shy is. A great guy. It was hilarious. So I'm thinking like you know everybody's going home. It's like five of us that didn't catch COVID. We all got tested. Five of us. So everybody had went home, and it's just us five on campus. And we had a text from Coach Shy like practice at nine or shooting at nine. Practice at two. And we're just like, what could we possibly do at? Uh, at uh, with five people, you know, and we really, and then we really took that time to really get better and coach, uh, coach us up and like, you know, work on our games. Like we didn't have real practice, but we just mm -hmm. make sure we stayed in shape, you know, 
as a team, and it was just like a bonding experience. So I think like from that moment on, as a team, when the team got back together, it was like a pivotal moment because like I learned a lot of stuff that I probably wouldn't have learned if we was all together because I wasn't getting as many reps. And then it put me, it put me in position to have to go out and play, and uh, I gained some confidence. And like I'm like, all right now. And Coach Coach Shaw gained confidence in me and the other five people that that probably wouldn't have gotten that if if COVID didn't happen. So I think it was just like a blessing in disguise, really. So I that's think- a heck of a story, and I could I could finish off that story because then I come to cover your game against Monmouth. Coming out of that, you host a really good Monmouth team. You remember, I'm sure. Yeah. And he starts you five guys, and I said to Shaw afterwards, I said, "Wow, you really mixed up the lineup." He goes, "Jerry." Those are the only five guys we had. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, I can't believe how well they responded. And so that was sort of a turning point for the whole team. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was awesome. Good for you. Um, so in your, now you're the leader. You know, you're the guy who's been there the longest. How do you draw on that season in your leadership? Like, do you reference, hey, when we beat Purdue, we did this. When we beat Kentucky, we did this. Uh, or do guys ask you about it? Or is it just – it's just sort of an innate thing that you carry with you. Um, of course, guys ask. They always ask all the time when they first get here about it. And um, I take a lot of stuff from it, you know, but, like, I don't try to, like, because I know it's a different team. And you're dealing with different people. So I don't try to say, like, necessarily, like, oh, we did this against Purdue. I just remember the way, like, I was led by, by that group of guys. It was a group of, like, five or six seniors. And, like, the way they carried it was um, amazing and to be honest, like I, I would run through a wall for those guys. So I, I just knew I just know how how they how they did it. So I just try to implement a little bit of what they taught and the discipline that um that they had and try to implement it on the team. And so far the guys are taking it great. I want to ask you about a younger guy on your team, Corey Washington. He's having a terrific season. What's it like to play with him and what does he bring to the table for you guys? Corey is the ultimate teammate, uh off the court, on the court. Um and the kid doesn't complain about anything. He just works on his game and works and, and it's showing. And it's great. I, I love to play with Corey because you know he got your back. I got his. We all got each other's back. So Corey is awesome. And then watching him just grow into the player he's becoming, uh, I, I could honestly say I would, I seen it from a mile away because I've been, I'm a, I've been around. But a lot of people were surprised. But that kid just works. That's good. And uh, you guys are a good one-two punch. You mentioned your former teammates – you know, they still you still keep in touch. How how often do you hear from those guys who are playing around the country, and who checked in with you after you, had, you dished out eleven assists? I'm sure they were happy for you. Yeah, um, we all check in with each other. We all still talk, Coach Shot, all the coaches. We have our group chat still going, and then of course the guys. We always we always check in on each other. So I talk to Juju a lot, uh, DB, Casey, Matt, everybody, Clarence, the twins. We played them earlier this year, so that's right. Um, I talked to Marty, even Marty Severa. I talk, we talk, we all talk. We're all good friends. Um, that we all joke and laugh. We watch each other's games. So like, if we're not playing, we're watching each other's games. We're texting about it, whatever it is. Coach Shaw, we still watch his games. We even go, we even went to the UConn game this year. So, um, and I got to see Doug and Matt and DB and Juju all in one place this summer at St. Peter's when Kyrie had came to play. So we're all still connected. We Who did. went to the UConn game? You, you, your current teammates went to Seton uh, Hall. UConn? I brought a few of my current teammates. Oh, Jerry, 
the big hit from right. uh, he was a, uh, ULM. Um, he came. He was out for the break, so he went. Omar, Mo, we all went. So that's great. You saw a good one for sure. Um, two more questions. How good can the St. Peter's team be? Um, as as good as as good as they want to be. We want to be honestly. Um, the talent's here. Everything's here. Just buying in and stacking days. Uh, this team could be a championship contender. So that's that's the goal here. Hey, Latrell, do you have a piece of the net from the MAC championship two years ago? Absolutely. So you could add a second piece. Yes, I do. Yes, I could. Where is that piece of the net? Is it in your dorm room? Is it home in Willingboro? Where is it? Um, it's actually at, at, at home at um, Willingboro. It's on. It's on a hat still. Still on a hat. All right. Uh, next to the trophy. If you get a second piece, you may have to build a case. <laughs> yeah, where I'll build a case with the uh, where the ring is at. So it'll be awesome. Good. Good for you. Collecting a lot of memorabilia. Last question. In a transfer world where there's a lot of transfers, what's your biggest piece of advice about sticking it out and the benefits of that? Uh, I'll just say everybody's situation is different. So, of course. You know, but um, the grass isn't always greener, you know. I just sometimes it's like it's better to see it through. Like, I, of course, I didn't know Coach Coach Bosch, you know. I just, I just knew, like, myself, the type of person I was. I was like, I'm going to give myself a chance. So sometimes – just sticking around, showing the coach, like, all right, this kid, he stuck with me. That might stick with the coach, like, okay, this kid's got something, some loyalty in him or something. So I'm going to give him a chance. And sometimes all you need is an opportunity. So I say, depending on your situation, uh, it was better for me to stick it out. So that's what I did. And I think it builds character. So Great, great story. Latrell Reed, the St. Peter's Peacocks, 5-0 and in the MAC, the hottest team in New Jersey college basketball. They're at Fairfield Friday. Big game as they continue their pursuit of it. What will be a surprising to us, maybe not to them, another MAC championship. Latrell, thanks for joining us on the Jersey Jump Shot, and we will see you along the way the rest of the season. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you guys. All right, so that was Latrell Reed. Uh, good story unfolding in Jersey City. Bringing on Chris Eisman now. Chris, the thing about college basketball, maybe you could just say this about sports in general. You just never know what's going to happen, right? That's kind of why we do what we do. Well, we talk about this every March. I mean, no one has any clue what's going to happen. That's why when people talk about what's going on in December, even sometimes in January, it's not going to make a difference because it's going to be totally different in February and then as we get into March. So you're exactly right. It's the most unpredictable sport ever. Yeah, and it's, it's, it is. And so here we are, uh, mid-January. We're at the halfway point of the season. want to touch on a couple quick things, Chris, and I'll pick your brain uh, on we'll talk Rutgers in a minute. I want to open with Seton Hall, who plays host to St. John's tonight, and then Creighton Saturday. Huge week for the Pirates. They're on a real roll. Uh, they've won seven of eight, and they're in first place in the Big East. Uh, quickly, just a well, just a general big picture thought, and uh, maybe you can answer this, Chris. But Seton Hall, like they're not really getting the respect that you would think they would get after all these quality wins. Not able to break into the top 25. Their metrics are not great, you know, low, pretty low in Ken Palm in the net. And they're actually underdogs against St. John's today at home. And you could put this in stone. They're going to be underdogs against Creighton at home Saturday, even though they're the first place team in the league. Any, any thoughts, Chris, as to why Seton Hall hasn't broken through in the, in the metrics or in, like, the public consciousness as this, as this good team that's turned a corner? 
it, it is really kind of strange and bizarre. I, I really thought that this was going to be the week that they broke into the, the top 25. I was pretty confident of it, um, you know, the way they've been playing and, and what a tremendous job, you know, by Shaheen Holloway, you know, what he's done with this team um, to kind of, you know, put it at least for us locally on the map. I, it's it's strange to me that there's not getting more recognition and attention on a national level. I don't know if that's because some of the Rick Pitino, St. John storyline is kind of dominating so much of the Big East talk right now. I mean, that I, I don't know. That could be playing into it. Um, but definitely, certainly against St. John, Seton Hall is a big opportunity, another big opportunity to make a statement. But the Pirates deserve a lot of credit. Again, as I said, Holloway deserves a tremendous amount of credit. Um, but they should be on the mat for a lot more people than just Buster. There's no doubt about that. And if they continue to play well, you know, they deserve to be in the top 25. And like I said, I thought this was going to be the week. Yeah, you're 5-1 and one in the Big East. That's not a that's not a fluke. I mean, you've beaten, no. you've beaten Marquette, Providence on the road. Uh, Butler on the road, UConn at home. That's that's not a fluke. So the big thing for Seton Hall this week, quickly on, on the game tonight, is that uh, they have to handle St. John's ball pressure. St. John's is going to press. They're going to trap. Uh, they're going to play 10 guys, and they're going to try to wear Kadari Richmond and the Seton Hall's guards out. Richmond's going to need some help ball handling. He can't do it all himself. Alamir Dawes. Dylan Adaiwusu, who's a St. John's transfer, they have to help with the ball handling. Seton Hall has been turning it over a lot. They turned it over 22 times against Marquette, which applied, you know, a three-quarter court trap to great effect. Um, so the whole focus for Rick Pitino and the guy, you know, he knows what he's doing, as we all know. The guy's going to try to – he's he's won a couple games in his life. He's going to try to wear Kadari Richmond out. Uh, so that's going to be – he's going to need help. Richmond's going to need help. Seton Hall's bench has to contribute. You know, this is not a game where Richmond's going to be able to play 39 minutes and, and be effective at the end. My feeling is if the game comes down to a handful of possessions, Richmond is the trump card, right? He can get to the 10. He gets fouled. He's great with the ball in his hands in those high-pressure situations. they got to get to that point, Seton Hall, where it's close. Jaden Bediaco, the center, going against Joel Serrano. Uh, Soriano, St. John's. Standout center is a key matchup. Bediaco has to stay on the floor. He's not going to play 30 minutes. He's got to play his 25 minutes, though, and not get in foul trouble because Soriano could feast if Bediaco's on the bench. Seton Hall, they're going to have 10,000 people there tonight, but will the students show up in force? They weren't really there for those games against Connecticut and Marquette. There's no there's no excuse for them not to be there tonight. School is Classes are back in session tomorrow. Um, the campus is open. So – Seton Hall students, the crowd can make a difference. The key for me for Seton Hall this week is get a one and one split. Yeah, it's your home stand. You want to go two and zero, but against this competition, a one and one split keeps the chains moving toward the NCAA tournament. If they ever went two and zero, Chris, we'd have to really talk. Maybe next week's podcast about can Seton Hall win the Big East? But it's early yet. This is a big week. Let's see what they do. All right, Rutgers. Uh, you know they lost to Michigan State. They got pummeled in the second half. 19-0 run by the Spartans. Uh, it's basketball runs happen, but, you know, Rutgers is getting pushed around physically. It was interesting after the game, Tom Izzo unprompted. And you know how good Izzo is in these post games, Chris. Izzo unprompted brought up the departures of Paul Mulcahy and uh, Cam Spencer late in the transfer cycle as really the reason why this isn't a vintage Rutgers team. We have mentioned that before. It kind of left Steve Peichel with his hands be tied behind his back with his backcourt and you're seeing them lean on guys who were supposed to play roles this year and not be the go-to guys in the backcourt. 
what do you want to see against Nebraska? It's kind of a must win. Like if Rutgers is going to salvage, and I'm not even talking NCAA tournament, if they're going to have a winning season, if they're going to have a postseason, we'll just say postseason for now, they kind of they really have to beat Nebraska at home. You know, you'll be there. We'll both be there Wednesday night. What do you want to see first and foremost out of Rutgers against Nebraska? Well, yeah, no doubt. I mean, this is a big win, a big game, a big opportunity for Rutgers to, to you know, get another home win. And they lost to Nebraska at home uh, last season, and Nebraska has played pretty well this year. So it's not going to be an easy one at all. I think, number one, Jerry, I mean, I think that they got it. I mean, not think. We know they got to get more out of Cliff Amore. Um, you know, he's their guy. He's their star. You know, we talked about this last week, and, and you said it. You know, he, he's got to be the guy who kind of steps up and helps carry this team right now. And, again, it's not all on him. The guards have to do a better job of getting in the ball. Obviously, Rutgers isn't shooting deep, so defenses are packing it in and making, th- uh, you know, things tough on Cliff. But, you know, ag- against uh, Michigan State through the day, you know, four points, you know, two or five shooting, it's just not enough offensively. They need to kind of find a way for him to become more involved. And then in terms of the backcourt, too, you know, Derek Simpson and Noah Fernandy, they need to provide more. You know, they're just the – Rutgers is not getting enough um, out of its backcourt. Um, they just – almost all every offensive category, uh, the Scarlet Knights are just struggling in. And, you know, until they get that rectified and still start to find more consistency in that end of the floor, it's going to be a tough go for them. And, again, like I said, those, I think those two things are really – you know, they got to kind of start to pick that up. Definitely got to get more from Cliff Amore. He's their guy. He's got to be the guy who kind of helps carry them through some of these tough times. And right now, you know, we're just not seeing that. So there's a, a big guy is relying on guards to an extent, but also you can help yourself too by getting better position and by also offensive rebounding and putting the ball back in. That's something Cliff has done regularly the last few years. Hasn't been as good at it this year. So hold your ground in there, and then that can make a difference. I want to mention – Steve Peichel alluded to in his post-game interview after Michigan State the possibility of getting uh, Jeremiah Williams eligible. He's a transfer from Iowa State. He had been at Temple before then. Uh, he's a six-foot-four guard, physical, big physical guard who might help them. That they're still waiting on word from the NCA, as far as I know, about his yeah, eligibility. Uh, yeah, who knows? You don't know, but he's on a gambling suspension. Could it be a half-season suspension? If so, then you could hear real soon from him getting eligible. Could be a full season. Like you said, it's a mystery. It's a sphinx, the NCA. Yeah. But he hasn't played a game in two years. You know, I remember he had an Achilles problem too. He hasn't played a game in two years. So, while of course he'll he'll help them, and I know he's practiced pretty well. I don't know. You can only expect so much from a guy who hasn't played in, in a game in two years. Uh, but we'll keep an eye out for that. And here's the other question I want to ask you about Rucker, Steve. How, uh, uh, Chris, how much do you, if you're Steve Peichel, how much do you down the stretch here of the season force feed minutes to Gavin Griffiths and the other freshmen and sophomores with an eye toward the future? And how much do you play every game to win now? Who can help me win today? How do you balance that, you think, if you're Steve Peichel? Well, as someone who has covered a lot of losing teams, in the 10 years, 10 plus years that I've been a sports writer, that's been a constant question throughout my career is whether the team I'm covering should focus more on development or look to the future. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think you got to kind of play it out. I mean, I, I do think that, you know, Gavin Griffiths obviously, you know, has struggled um, this season, but that's not, um, that's not rare for a freshman in the big right. game. But yeah, I mean, if this things continue to kind of go off the rails here a little bit and it gets to a point where, okay, we know the postseason is not really going to be a play. This season's not where it's going where it wants it to go. Yeah. And then I think you start to focus more on, on really kind of playing guys like 
you know, Gavin Griffiths and Michael Davis and, and, as you said, the other, you know, younger players, freshmen and sophomore, to kind of get them ready for, obviously, what we know is coming down the pipe next season um, and kind of, be, you know, get them established in, in, in the roles that they're going to be in. So, I mean, I think that that's definitely something that you could focus on. But, again, that's, that's uh, you know, that's going to be a big decision for Steve Peichel. And he's not a guy that he's not gonna, he's, he's not going to do that easily, I don't think. You know, I think he's going right. to give it everything he's got every single game. And that's always a tough – that's a, that's a tough uh, line to walk, no doubt about it. You're definitely not going to see that this week. I mean, they're going to play. He's going to play the guys who can get him to win this week. Yeah, he's they're not there yet. Uh, all right, so uh, let's moving on to Princeton. I actually dropped in on their game against Dartmouth yesterday. I've seen them three times now live. They're 15 and one. It was really nice to see Princeton have a great crowd. Four thousand people in Jadwin, pretty old school. Like back in the day, Princeton would pack it in in the 90s when they had these great teams, and it's starting to get that back again which is good to see, certainly worthy of it. Chris, they turned the ball over nine times total in two games. Their offense is – it runs like a machine. And I think it's they're – extremely well coached, unbelievably well coached. Yeah, I mean, so well coached and also continuity, right? I mean, these five guys played together last year. That's such a rarity in college basketball anymore. Uh, so they're at Columbia Saturday. I think if they win the games they're supposed to win – they're not gonna, I don't think they'll run the table in the Ivy League. Yale's really good. Cornell's good. Uh, and Cornell has their number because Cornell is coached by Brian Earl, who was Mitch Henderson's right-hand man and a Princeton grad, and he coached with Mitch for a number of years. So they really know the system inside and out. But they could be an at-large candidate. We'll, we'll get into that later. We'll have Brad Wachtel later in the season on the podcast. He thinks they're an at-large bid candidate, which would be a first in the Ivy for the Ivy League in, in the 64-plus uh, team era. Uh, so Princeton looks – they look really good. Uh, it's fun to see people responding to them. And, you know, Xavier Lee, who's had a terrific season, scored 16 points in the second half alone. I talked with him for a while. I'll be writing about him soon. Really, and I wanted to mention mention Mohamed uh, Xander Rice in here too, who was, who was the, uh, the CAA Player of the Week again this past week. Really, the Haggerty Award, we're a couple months away, but the Haggerty Award, which goes to the best player in the metropolitan area, uh, I would say at the moment, at the halfway point of the season, it's Seton Hall's Kadari Richmond, Princeton, Xavier Lee, and Mohamed Xander Rice. I think those are the top three candidates, all New Jersey guys. So the guard play we're seeing in New Jersey is outstanding. And, Chris, yesterday with Princeton, uh, you know, I, I saw Lee and Matalaco, the senior guard, they hit two step-back three-pointers that were just sick. Like, it was like the old-school Allen Houston, New York Knicks, when the Houston would take that shot and the net wouldn't move, you know? It was like that. And I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, these guys are just – they just shoot the lights out. But the thing is, it's one thing to be able to shoot. The other thing is – and Mitch Henderson said this afterwards – they don't take bad shots. Like, they take shots they know they can make, and there's almost no – four shots or force passes in a Princeton basketball game. And that's why their, their efficiency on offense is top 15 in the country, Chris. And you saw them in the opener. You could kind of tell, like, this team really has a connectedness on offense. Yeah, 100%. We talked a lot about that after that game, too. I mean, watching their offense is a thing of beauty because of how well-connected they are. And it was you could kind of see the two different teams because at that time, and, and to a degree they still are, Rutgers is still trying to figure things out with the new guys that they have. So it was kind of like – it was quite a different position to see the way how Princeton was so connected and how Rutgers was at that point still trying to figure things out. Yeah, so halfway through the season, as I said at the top of the podcast, 
we didn't know if there would be maybe but one NCAA tournament team at the moment. You look, you have three from New Jersey in in Princeton, Seton Hall, and Rutgers. Uh, Princeton, Seton Hall, and St. Peter's serious NCAA tournament candidates. And then who knows? It's a long season with a lot of twists and turns. No one saw FDU coming last March, so we'll see. We'll stay with it, as I know all the fans will as well. Thanks to Latrell Reed for joining us this week, and more. Hoops to come on the Jersey Jump Shot. Have a good one. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.